Thank you for listening to the Institute of World Politics podcast. To learn more about our graduate programs in national security, international affairs, and intelligence, or to support our work in educating future leaders, please visit www.iwp.edu. Okay. Good afternoon to our distinguished guests and to all of you in the audience. Thank you for watching this virtual lecture hosted by the Institute of World Politics. For those of you who are new, IWP is the Graduate School of National Security and International Affairs. We have five master's program degrees, 18 certificates of study, and a new doctoral program. We also offer the opportunity to take a single course without having to pay an entire semester's worth of tuition costs. One also audits such a course at much less cost. If you are interested in learning more about us, please visit us at iwp.edu. This event is part of the Intermarium Lecture Series sponsored by the Institute of World Politics. The views expressed by this lecture and other students do not necessarily reflect the views of the Institute of World Politics. I understand for many of you in this audience, this is a highly charged issue. Please practice courtesy and charity towards everyone here. Uh, anyone who does not practice proper protocol here, this event will be removed. There are other venues and fields to practice diplomacy by other means. We will have time for questions. Please submit your questions via the Q&A section. Now about our speaker. His Excellency Barajan Nerasasian, a career diplomat. He was appointed to the post of Ambassador of Armenia to the United States in 2018. Prior to that, his recent professional experience included serving as assistant to the Prime Minister of Armenia, and from 2012 to 2018, assistant to the President of the Republic of Armenia. His Excellency holds two master's degrees in international affairs from Yerevan State University, the Fletcher School of Law and Diplomacy, and Tufts University. In addition to his native Armenian ambassador, Sassian is fluent in English, German, and Russian. So without any further ado, I turn it over to you, sir. Thank you very much, uh, Mr. Debens. And uh, I wanted to thank the Institute of World Politics for this invitation and to join in your webinar and to try today to uh, present you the recent developments uh, in our region. Uh, but once again, thank you and thank you everybody who joined this webinar. Uh, and uh, I welcome everybody to this discussion. Uh, the, <clears throat> the topic of today's discussion is the recent situation at the Armenian-Azerbaijani border and the attacks Azerbaijan undertook beginning from July 12th against the internationally recognized border of the Republic of Armenia and the situation that followed, followed up. Why this is important? Because this conflict, this, this situation and the, and the broader conflict, the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict to which my country is a party, has a implications for regional and uh, even for global peace and security. So that's why these recent clashes are not only localized situation about uh, completely about Armenia and Azerbaijan, but they have broader regional security implications. But what happened, uh, one should view in a broader context, the July 12th attack was not something that it happened um, in a vacuum. The July 12th attack was uh, preceded by certain context that if one followed carefully, one would draw a conclusion 
which is the site that, that violated the ceasefire, that undertook this, uh, this uh, provocation. Uh, you know that the Gorno-Karabakh conflict, and I, perhaps a little later, I will reflect on the historic and legal background as soon as I uh, inform uh, the audience about this recent uh, violence. But just prior to this uh, outbreak, the clashes at the, at the Armenian-Azerbaijani border, uh, we just witnessed that, that during the, in the middle of the pandemic, as soon as the pandemic was announced, Azerbaijan undertook large-scale military exercises. And while Armenia joined the call of the UN Secretary General Gutierrez about the global ceasefire, Azerbaijan didn't do, didn't do it. And um, just on the contrary, in the middle of these exercises, the Azerbaijani Ministry of Defense announces that the only language Armenians understand is the language of force. And in addition to that, Azerbaijan was the party that even prior to this latest escalation has always consistently uh, denounced uh, the, the proposal to establish a ceasefire violation mechanism, investigative mechanism, as they call it. So it clearly shows that this didn't happen in a vacuum. In addition to that, just a week before these recent clashes, Azerbaijani president announces, first of all, criticizes very strongly the, the institution of OSC, Minsk co-chairman, and, and, and um, uh, declares their activities meaningless. And, and promises to his own population that you know uh, he's free to resort to force. So in, this is the context in which the July 12 attack happened. And that's why it shows which party is that, which is the party that violated in a, in a gross, that was in the gross violation of the ceasefire. And uh, on July 12, <clears throat> we just got the report from the front lines and Armenian military, the Azerbaijani military vehicle has been approaching Armenian positions on the territory of the Republic of Armenia. After the warnings that Armenian military gave to the approaching uh, Azeri military servicemen, they returned to their original position. But instead, instead of keeping the peace and calm, Azerbaijani uh, side started to indiscriminately bomb and shell that very position and all of the other uh, positions in the vicinity. So this is how those these clashes happened. The armed forces of the Republic of Armenia didn't have an alternative rather to use proportionate force. And I, I underline the word proportionate. Armenian armed forces did not start this. The entire responsibility rests with Azerbaijan. And Armenian armed forces had all to do to return the fire. And in these uh, clashes, Azerbaijani side, uh, the first day ended up with heavy uh, losses. Uh, the first two days, they had about 12 losses, and uh, Armenian side has had uh, four losses, and we regret the loss of human life on both sides, but never intended, and we never initiated this. This was uh, the initiation of the Azerbaijani side, as I just brought to the, 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 all of the proofs of the several facts why Azerbaijan undertook this attack. So uh, <clears throat> the Armenian side just had to return the fire and keep its and, and our Armenian armed forces in a very professional manner uh, defended their 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 border and just implemented their duty. Um, 
the next day, uh, upon the mediation of the co-chairs and the personal representative of the chairman in office of OSC, and the mediators here are the OSC misgroup co-chair and my country fully supports, unlike Azerbaijan, my country fully supports the activities uh, of the OSC Minsk Group co-chair. It doesn't mean that we fully accept all of the proposals that Minsk Group proposed, but we accept the legitimacy of the institution of the co-chairs of the OSC Minsk Group. We do not play these games of uh, negotiating and undermining the very institution that is the mediation uh, of, the, of this Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. Uh, we believe in the capacity of the co-chairs and we trust them and we want them to succeed in the mediation efforts. So upon the, upon the uh, mediation of the co-chairs, a ceasefire was established. Uh, so several times between July 13 and July 16, Azerbaijani side maturously violated this ceasefire. Each time we agreed upon a ceasefire, the next morning, particularly the morning of July 16, Azerbaijani special forces, July 15, I'm sorry, Azerbaijani special, special forces undertook yet another attack towards the same, very same Armenian positions and took and, and used uh, low range and high caliber artillery tanks combat drones and all kinds of military equipment. So all Armenian forces had to do is was in a proportionate manner to, to return the to return the fire. And Azerbaijani side after that phase of the escalation had yet another heavy losses, including a general, a colonel and, and several other high ranking uh, militaries. This by the way, a situation, um, so uh, we were committed fully to the establishment of a ceasefire and we didn't intend uh, whatsoever to, to you know escalate the situation again uh, because we never started and we never intended in any way to, to uh, have any border clashes. Um, <clears throat> so uh, right now there is a relative calm uh, along the border but yesterday last night Azerbaijani side undertook yet another attack towards the, the same positions irrespective completely irrespective of the agreement uh, on the ceasefire so um, this is this is becoming a habit this is unfortunately that we have a we have a opponent on the other side on which we cannot uh, rely whose word in this uh, ceasefire arrangements Cannot, uh, who doesn't respect its own commitment, its own word in this uh, ceasefire. So all we need in this situation is to de-escalate and to consolidate the ceasefire. But unfortunately, we're, we're witnessing that the Azerbaijani side constantly violates the ceasefire in that sa very same part of the border, at the Tabush, uh, Mars, Tabush region of the Republic of Armenia. Along with this escalation, we saw that Azerbaijani's side didn't hesitate to target and to shoot by artillery the civilian infrastructures of the Republic of Armenia in that very north. Uh, also targeting the mask production uh, factory that has been uh, inaugurated recently a, uh, in the context of this fight against COVID and targeting civilian infrastructures, uh, uh, kindergartens, many other um, you know, civilian infrastructures, the, the surrounding villages. So this was the context in which all of this situation was happened. Uh, Armenian side has been in a responsible manner engaged with the co-chairs of the Minsk group uh, and respected its own word. 
By the way, Armenian military also um, exercising and fully respecting the, the um, international uh, humanitarian law and its requirements allowed Azerbaijani side to take their victims, to take the corpse of their uh, uh, soldiers from the, from the battlefield. Uh, we never created any impediments and upon the mediation of the co-chairs, it's known to everybody that the Armenian side allowed this to happen. Um, on the other hand, one should notice that as a result of this military confrontation instigated by Azerbaijan, a large scale, scale public discontent took place in Azerbaijan. But one thing I just wanted to highlight, that this is the product of Azerbaijan's own propaganda. Azerbaijani government became the hostage of its own militaristic, bellicose and belligerent propaganda, because when their own population saw that irrespective that of this bragging that Azerbaijan is going to be uh, you know, marching all the way victoriously, they suffered heavy losses, the public discontent came up. But this was not only most likely about the situation on the front lines, this was also as, as it witnessed by the international media about the ongoing gross violations of democracy and human rights in Azerbaijan. Uh, of ongoing corruption. So it, it became a mixed expression of public discontent from the policy that Azerbaijani government has been conducting towards Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, towards its own population, and its own population demanded accountability. So uh, we also saw that Azerbaijani foreign minister, Mr. Mamedyarov, has been replaced by a new foreign minister, which uh, we don't know where this is going to lead to. But um, uh, definitely, uh, the Armenian side is, is completely committed to de-escalate the situation. We do not see an alternative to the peaceful resolution of this conflict. We are committed to the uh, peaceful resolution of the conflict and de-escalation, but it cannot take, uh, you know, it takes two to tango. It cannot depend only on one side. It should come simultaneously between the sides and Azerbaijan, should come in a constructive manner to the negotiating table and to commit itself to continue the negotiations in, in, a, in a constructive manner. I just wanted to briefly touch upon the reaction of the international community as well. Uh, the international community, first of all, the OSC means group co-chairman came up with a number of statements about the situation, calling upon the parties, and this is the diplomatic language it goes, uh, to de-escalate and to enter into bilateral negotiations, to use the direct communication lines. Uh, and most of the international community has been on the, in a positive manner calling upon the parties, uh, but except one country, Turkey, that came up with extremely igniting and provocative statements, uh, encouraging Azerbaijan to, to initiate a, a war, promising that Turkey would sort of intervene on behalf of Azerbaijan because the Turkish foreign ministry has been saying that um, Turkey is, is, is ready to sacrifice its lives for Azerbaijan and it's ready to do whatever necessary for Azerbaijan. So while all the most of the international community has been trying to de-escalate the situation, Turkey right the contrary along with its policy in, of destabilizing the neighboring regions of uh, Eastern Mediterranean, in, in North Africa, in Syria, in Lebanon, 
everywhere modern Turkey plays a, a destabilizing role. Now, Turkey wants, wanted yet again to, to uh, destabilize South Caucasus by encouraging Azerbaijan to, to undertake yet another military provocation. This is not going to be helpful. This is completely counterproductive to the regional peace and security. And this is yet another proof that Turkey cannot play whatsoever a mediating role in the Gorna-Karabakh conflict. In the middle of this situation, we discovered the Ministry of Defense of Azerbaijan uh, threatening in broad daylight to attack and to shoot to, uh, to a missile attack towards Armenian nuclear power plant. This is in nothing but an act of nuclear terrorism, a threat to launch. This is a irresponsibility not only towards the Armenian people, but also towards the population of Azerbaijan as well. Because had Azerbaijan undertaken such a, uh, you know, uh, such an attack uh, towards the nuclear power plant of Armenia, it would not only affect the people of Armenia, but would affect equally the people of Azerbaijan, Turkey, and many other countries of the region. This has not yet uh, gotten the, the reaction of the international community. The international community needs to strictly and call upon, you know, uh, you know, uh, party that made such an announce to denounce such a possibility because this is a threat not only towards Armenia, uh, this is a threat uh, towards the international peace and security and the security and safety of all of the people of the region, including of the Azeri people. Uh, <clears throat> just returning to the role of Turkey in, in this, uh, I wanted to highlight uh, the uh, last year's uh, uh, you know, uh, the resolutions in the House of the Represent Representatives and in the Senate recognized the Armenian genocide. Those resolutions proved once again that the condemnation of the Armenian genocide did not have only historical importance or historical um, connotation. It has a modern day security implications for the Republic of Armenia because modern day Turkey has not ceased to threat uh, Armenia to expose uh, very dangerous policies towards Armenia. Modern day Turkey not only conducts a policy of illegal blockade of the Republic of Armenia and does not recognize the genocide of Armenia, but also uh, continues this policy of blackmail and, and support of Azerbaijan and threatening the Republic of Armenia. So the recognition of Armenian genocide was uh, once again uh, proofs that it, that, that does not have only historical importance. Um, <clears throat> now, as regards um, the broader situation and uh, about the prospects of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, as I said, my government doesn't see an alternative to the peaceful resolution. We are completely, as we were before this latest phase of the confrontation, we are completely committed to the exclusively peaceful settlement of the conflict on the, uh, on the, uh, within the format of the OSCE Minsk Group co-chairs. But for that, certain things are necessary. First of all, this, uh, we, as we have been saying before, we cannot conduct proper and even substantial negotiations when, once there is shooting going on in the line of contact. There must be a complete and, uh, and uh, inclusive ceasefire along the line of contact at the Armenian-Azerbaijani border so that the negotiations can go ahead. There must be a conducive environment for peace. It means this belicose and belligerent rhetoric must, must stop and, and, uh, and parties 
must address the requirements of each side. So I'll bring you an example. The Prime Minister of Armenia, Nikol Pashinyan, publicly offered that the future peace deal is supposed to be acceptable equally for the peoples of Armenia, Nagorno-Karabakh, and Azerbaijan. And he invited the president of Azerbaijan, Ilham Aliyev, to reciprocate. All we got was a, the response was the continuation of bellicose propaganda of the threats and intimidation towards the people of Armenia. So how we can imagine a progress in the negotiation when the president of Azerbaijan on the highest level threatens the people of Armenia, threatens to intervene not only to Nagorno-Karabakh, but to intervene uh, and, and, and claims territorial uh, and has um, territorial claims towards the Republic of Armenia itself. So <clears throat> for the continuation of the negotiations, we need a very, uh, you know, um, calm and uh, appropriate uh, conducive environment so that no negotiations can continue and produce certain um, and produce certain results uh, we need the institution of the co-chairs to successfully continue their mission um, and also i wanted to highlight the importance as the prime minister of armenia has offered publicly and privately the the Nagorno-Karabakh joining, rejoining the peace process, the negotiations, because as we have said, without Nagorno-Karabakh, and this is not something for capricious attitude, we are saying for the sake of the negotiations, for the sake of the success of negotiations, Nagorno-Karabakh must be at the negotiating table. This conflict is about the future of the people of Nagorno-Karabakh. The Republic of Armenia, the Armenian leadership cannot negotiate on behalf of the people of Nagorno-Karabakh they should decide about their futures. Therefore, uh, without their, their joining this negotiation process is not gonna be possible. Sooner or later, I mean, no matter how many times Azerbaijan wants to avoid this prospect or wants to bring all kinds of pretexts uh, to avoid or introduces the notion of so-called uh, Azerbaijani community of Nagorno-Karabakh trying to put them into equal with the authorities of Nagorno-Karabakh, it's not going to be helpful. If we want to succeed in these negotiations, Azerbaijan should negotiate with the legitimate authorities of Nagorno-Karabakh and come to the terms of the resolution of this peace process. I can further elaborate about the prospects. What do we see as a prospect? But perhaps I would limit myself with this. I think I'm talking more than 20 minutes and I would allow the audience to offer some questions. Thank you very much, Mr. Debins, and I will uh, take your questions. Thank you. Thank you, very, thank you very much, Ambassador, uh, for your work and presentation. So I see we have a, a bunch of questions here. And um, just to, I'm looking through the questions right now, so it fits in what you're saying. But since we have a lot of Americans, and um, this is the world folks hosting this event, um, our greatest interest, um, so there's a lot of questions about the issue of culpability, um, issues of rights, um, about the ongoing conflict that's been going on for decades now. But I'm going to focus more on questions about the about international geopolitics. So this is a question that I'm going to set out here. Mr. Ambassador, thank you for your presentation. My question is, why do you think, actually, I'm, I'm going to rephrase the question. Um, why do you think the violence is going on now? Is it connected to, um, Um, okay, so let me just say this out front. I know this question has a lot of 
Bison, this is your master. Thank you for your presentation. My question is why do you think Azerbaijan are reverting to large scale violence now? Is this connected with Turkey's destabilizing role in Iraq during the uh, I understand the question was about Turkey. Yeah. Okay, as I said, the question I believe is if, if I can rephrase the question, um, it's connected in any way to Turkey's actions in Iraq, Syria, and now Libya. Did you hear me, sir? Sorry? Iraq, Syria? Were you able to hear me? I can't hear you properly, but uh... okay. I'll, I'll um... give me a second. I'm trying to figure this one out. I'm going to send it to you. Um, I will message you. Okay. So. What... Did you message, sir? Yeah, I'm going to send the message to the whole group. Hold the rest of you. One moment. It, is it about uh, Turkey's actions in Syria and Libya? Yeah. yeah. Okay, uh, I got you. As I said, modern-day Turkey plays a uh, destabilizing role not only in the region of South Caucasus, but also in in uh, Mediterranean, in in Libya, and in Syria. We have seen that Turkey's intervention in those areas in, uh, has created lots of problems and Turkey's intervention has not brought uh, peace and security to the regions. It has been unilateral. It has also certain religious uh, components uh, uh, trying to uh, behalf, uh, uh, intervene in a biased manner. And also as recently we saw the, the changing of Hagia Sophia from, from a Christian uh, world UNESCO Heritage, world heritage site into, into a, a mosque is in the most vociferous way violating the, the inter and, and creating a possibility for you know uh, challenging the interreligious uh, interreligious relations around the world. So it's been overall overall. I just don't want to go into the details uh, what Turkey does in, in Syria, but Turkey has a big role in the current uh, in the current situation in Syria and in the tragedy of the Syrian people. And as we see, the same goes on in, in, in Libya and everywhere. So Turkey shouldn't intervene in this way and try to have uh, a policy of neo-Ottomanism in those regions and to destabilize. Turkey better stays within its own policies and interests and plays a constructive role in its region. Because the issues are, 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 are obvious, what Turkey does. It's not Armenia was saying about this, but it's, it's clear to the international community that Turkey does not play a, a positive role in the modern day regional affairs. Okay. All right, this is the next, the next question is, what factors would have to align for negotiations on peace between Armenia and Azerbaijan? 
what factors, sorry? What factors would have to align for negotiations on peace between Armenia and Azerbaijan? The factors, uh, I understand what factors should play a role for successful negotiations between Armenia and Azerbaijan. Yes. Yes. As I said, uh, first of all, the most important factor is about the joining of Nagorno-Karabakh. Nagorno-Karabakh, since the beginning of the, of the peaceful negotiations, has been a part of the negotiations. Uh, but just because certain developments, uh, uh, at some point, Nagorno-Karabakh, uh, beginning from 1997, didn't participate in the negotiations. It was conducted between Armenia and uh, Azerbaijan, but it has been always highlighted in all peace process, in, in all peace proposals, and accepted and acknowledged by the co-chairs that at some point the authorities, the representatives of Nagorno-Karabakh, are going to join. So the one of the one of the keys to the success is the consent of the people of Nagorno-Karabakh, because this conflict is not about territories. This conflict is not about military confrontation. This conflict is basically about the root cause of the conflict is the status of Nagorno-Karabakh. The people of Nagorno-Karabakh have been denied this status. At the time, Nagorno-Karabakh has been arbitrarily by the single decision of the Soviet Union, more exactly by Joseph Stalin, donated to Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan never had Nagorno-Karabakh as its part, and I say this with full responsibility. In fact, the League of Nations at the time declined all claims of Azerbaijan towards Nagorno-Karabakh and even Nakhichevan. And then uh, they were just part of Azerbaijan during the Soviet Union. After the collapse of the Soviet Union, Nagorno-Karabakh just wanted to be reunited with the Republic of Armenia, or more exactly, to exercise its right to self-determination. And if this factor is not taken seriously, there is no solution to the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict. So Nagorno-Karabakh should be allowed its right to self-determination through, uh, um, through legally binding uh, expression of will, as it says in the proposals of the co-chairs, which are public, which is not private anymore. Uh, the other factor is the parties just trying to address the needs of the opposite side. We have done it, as I said, honestly, on the level of prime minister, we have offered the peace deal to be acceptable. And the prime minister, a priori of Armenia, said that I am accepting the Azeri people also having their, uh, you know, the rights of Azeri people. They, it should be agreeable to the people of Azerbaijan. But we have not seen similar statement on the part of Azerbaijan. So we should um, also, negotiations can succeed only if we talk a matter of mutual compromises. All we have seen from the side of Azerbaijan has been a maximalist unilateral solution. We want this, we want that, but we, want, we don't want you or Nagorno-Karabakh to get something at the negotiated table. It's not gonna happen. It's not gonna go anywhere, irrespective of Azerbaijani artificial, artificially accumulated military might, and that we saw just several days ago, what is the result of this accumulation, that Azerbaijan purchased billions and billions of dollars of military equipment, irrespective of Azerbaijan's petrodollars and all kinds of, uh, all kinds of mythology, mythology, Azerbaijan tries to, you know, balloon in, the, uh, in its propaganda, it's not gonna go anywhere. 
if we don't talk about mutual compromises, about addressing each other's needs, this conflict is not gonna go there and anywhere and we're gonna go towards a further escalation. All is to today, today's, you know, th this recent escalation and the previous escalation, the, the war of 2016, it has been initiated by Azerbaijan. Azerbaijan is the sole responsible. We, I mean, if, if one party denies the establishment of a ceasefire mechanism or an investigative mechanism, how one would perceive it? If Azerbaijan doesn't want to establish a mechanism of ceasefire violation, what does it mean? And we have asked these questions. So the factors are there, as I said, uh, just to sit down at the negotiating table, to bring the Gorno Karabakh to the negotiating table, and to talk honestly to each other, address each other's needs, and move forward. But we cannot talk, you know, nobody can threaten the Republic of Armenia, neither Nagorno Karabakh. Armenia is the guarantor of Nagorno Karabakh's security, and has Azerbaijan undertaken yet another attack, Armenia definitely is going to defend the people of Nagorno-Karabakh against any incursions or attempts to, to violate their, uh, their security. Thank you. Next question, uh, if you can see this, Ambassador, uh, it's two parts of the question. One, why if Azerbaijan has initiated the current escalation, there's no signal for signals intelligence or satellite why Azerbaijan has initiated recent escalation? That's the question. No, the question is why is there no satellite Somehow I, I couldn't hear the second part of your questions. Maybe I'll let him. Um, if you look at the question, sir, if you look at the question, um, it's uh, why is if Azerbaijan has initiated the current escalation, there is no signals or satellite photos of the impact. And I assume it's artillery or impacts on the Armenian side. You see the question? I think, uh, I think there is appropriate governments of you know superpowers. They have all of the witness those governments that have the technical capabilities to monitor. I'm confident they had all of the witness, which is the party that violated and this, this time and the previous times, there is no doubt. But the very fact that Azerbaijan rejects and denounces the establishment of the ceasefire violation investigative mechanism, it tells which is the party. Had Azerbaijan agreed to this, we would have known clearly which side that violates. If Azerbaijan denounces, there's a clear proof that it is Azerbaijan which initiates this, this and previous phases of escalation. The, is, the answer is very easy. Uh, so it's, it's been uh, completely, I mean, if we had, so we need the, first of all, the monitors to return because there was already limited monitoring of the line of contact and Armenia-Azerbaijani border implemented by the Office of Ambassador Andrei Kasparczyk, personal representative of the Chairman in office, but that's not going to be enough. We need that to be reinforced. We need an investigative mechanism in place. And I'm saying with all responsibility, where is Azerbaijan's response? Had Azerbaijan joined this, we wouldn't have this recent phase of escalation and we would have a much better environment for the continuation of negotiations. Thank you. Okay, and this is the next question, sir, uh, from the same, the same person. 
What is the evidence supporting Armenia's claim that Azerbaijan initiated the conflict outside the circumstantial speculation about the reason for the Azerbaijani military exercise? Let me just see in this. Um... It's uh, from Irina Sukarman. Uh, I just didn't get the second part. Some, for, for some technical reasons, I can't hear you properly, uh, Peter. No. What is the evidence supporting Armenia's claim that Azerbaijan initiated the conflict outside the circumstantial speculation about the reason for the Azerbaijani military exercise? So you are... Um, I believe the question is going back to the point that you made. I think I, I responded to it. The, didn't I respond to that question? Good. Because I think I responded already to that question. Because, I mean, the evidence is there. If, if they, uh, if some, someone is asking about the evidence, as I said, uh, first of all, uh, the Armenian military yesterday demonstrated all of the military equipment that we captured, primarily the drones. Azerbaijani drones, combat drones that were used. 13 drones were shot by the Armenian military forces uh, during this time. Some of them of combat military capabilities. Two tanks, as there is lost. Okay, so this was... So this was the question right here. I, I, I sent it to you in yeah. the uh, what is the evidence supporting Armenians' claims that Azerbaijan initiated the conflict outside the circumstantial speculations about the reasons for Azerbaijani military exercises? But as I uh, explained, the evidence I just gave in the, the beginning of my uh, presentations, all of the arguments that Azeri president just a week before that announced that he considers the Minsk group the mediators and peace process meaningless. And he said, we, uh, we, <clears throat> you know, um, uh, we will resort to force uh, to, to resolve this conflict. What, what, what other evidence the distinguished, uh, distinguished participants wants from that? And as I said, by denouncing the peace process or by the Azerbaijani Ministry of Defense saying that the only language Armenians understand is the language of force what other uh, evidence they want. I mean, uh, we, those clashes happened uh, during the night time and uh, we do not have, uh, although there is, I mean, all kinds of evidence that Azerbaijani troops left the, the, the <clears throat> their casualties in the battlefield when they, once they ex escaped the battlefield. But uh, definitely Armenia didn't have any other, any reason to initiate this and we have never, we have never made any announcement that we would resort to force or, or we have any intention in, in those areas. Just on the contrary, as I said, I think I just reflected on that question and I, I don't need to provide further clarifications. The evidence is there and I, as I said, uh, so many, uh, so many uh, proofs of that. All right, I sent you the next question. It says, I would like to know more about the role and response of the collectives can you send it to me, Mr. Uh, Debbins? Uh, can you send it to me, like the previous question, so that I can read the... Yes, I just sent it to me. You did? Yes. Which one is that? Uh, is it... Uh... Uh, I would like to know more about the role and response of the collective security tree organization. 
Yeah, I'd like to know more about the role and response of the Collective Security Treaty Organization when it comes to this issue. Yes, the Collective Security Treaty Organization is a, is a security organization, an alliance to which Armenia is a member. Uh, contrary to Azerbaijan's propaganda here in Washington and elsewhere, Armenia never applied to treaty, collective security treaty organization to intervene. The, 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 treat, the organization itself has an obligation towards the members whenever there is an attack. And uh, once this information came up, uh, the organization organization initiated a, a meeting, an extraordinary meeting of the Permanent Council, where Armenian representative presented our position. But we didn't apply officially for help, neither to Russian Federation, nor, uh, nor to the Collective Security Treaty Organization. These are possibilities envisaged by the, uh, by the Collective Security Treaty Organization, but we did not consider that particular uh, that particular uh, incident, uh, you know, uh, serious enough to apply for the help of the uh, organization to which we're a member to. Mm -hmm. okay. I just brought up the next question, sir. What is the Russia's uh, perspective on the conflict? Iran supporting Azerbaijan? Th that's the question? Yeah? Uh, about Russia's uh, role and Iran? No. What is Russia's perspective on the conflict? Yeah, yeah, okay. Um, Russian Federation is a, a mediator in, in this conflict, along with the United States and, and, and France. And we respect the role of our co-chairman, Russian Federation, United States and France. Uh, from the beginning of this outbreak of the recent uh, confrontation, my minister was in touch with the Minister of Foreign Affairs of Russian Federation, Sergei Lavrov, and the co-chair, Mr. Popov. Uh, Russian Federation, uh, of course, uh, Armenia and Azerbaijan, as, as, uh, as part of the former Soviet Union, have, have special ties uh, with Russian Federation. Armenia has a strategic alliance with Russia. Azerbaijan says that they have strategic partnership with Russian Federation. So we definitely respect the role of Russian Federation in this conflict, but um, uh, Russia plays the role as, as other mediators do so, and they have been involved in this situation in trying to, uh, to, to uh, come down and de-escalate the situation when we appreciate very much the role of our mediators, uh, because Armenia has never undermined the role of the mediators, just on the contrary, we thought, again, I am saying that not all of all of the proposals that they produced are our dream proposals, but we understand that more or less, uh, you know, whatever the co-chairs produce, it cannot be 100% acceptable from either party. Uh, uh, you know, we, we need to come to mutual compromises. Uh, about the role of Iran, Iran is a neighboring country and we respect the role of Iran in the region, um, but we never view the conflict in, in the difference between us and Azerbaijan is that we have never made this conflict as as a religious conflict. Iran is a neighboring country and we have normal good neighborly relations between the neighbors but Azerbaijan has tried to play the religious card not only towards Iran but towards other uh, countries of the Islamic world but Armenia has 
great relations with most of the Arab countries, uh, with other uh, you know, Islamic nations, and we do not view whatsoever this conflict in, in the religious context. So um, we respect the position of the regional countries, and we want all of the countries uh, to, to um, respect our positions and, not, and, and to intervene only in, in a constructive manner, unlike Turkey. It's only Turkey which has been intervening in this conflict, trying to intervene in a completely biased and, and provocative manner. Um, perhaps that, that will end my comment on this. Thank you. Hold on a minute. Is the next one? Is there a new question? Give me a second. Unfor unfortunately, uh, people are are a lot of questions are related to issues that happened decades ago. Um, so. Um, I'm going to ask this question. Um, if I, so I'm curious about this because I never, I did not hear about this. Please but send it over to me, Peter. Can you comment on the Okay, I got the question right there. Can you comment the claim that Armenia first made a statement it would launch a missile strike against the largest hydroelectric dam in the region, Mingachar Dam? Uh, I, I don't think Armenia, in the context of this uh, situation, has ever made a statement uh, about uh, you know Mingachar Dam or other infrastructures. But Armenia has said that has Azerbaijan in the past, not in, the, in this recent period, unlike Azerbaijan, Armenia has not done any statement, but in the past, Armenia has announced that has Azerbaijan undertaken a large scale attack towards the peaceful population, Armenia uh, <clears throat> will allow to undertake all necessary measures to protect the people of Armenia, including hitting those infrastructures, uh, uh, you know, that, that uh, uh, that Azerbaijan has. So uh, we have never announced a, uh, you know, such possibility of strikes or striking those same infrastructures. It just has been Azerbaijan's, uh, I mean, I would appreciate if the distinguished participant uh, refers to a concrete statement from Armenia about Mingachaur or any other infrastructure. All Armenian side has been saying the logic was that had Azerbaijan's undertaken a large-scale attack towards the people of Nagorno-Karabakh of or of Armenia, Armenia will resort to all measures at its possession to protect its population. That that we have said, of course. Okay, next question. Is there any the Trump administration can do to stop the fight? Uh, what can Trump administration uh, to do um, help stop the fighting? That's the question. Yes. Yes. Um, 
I think uh, Trump administration has already, on behalf of the U.S. co-chairmanship, uh, ambassador Andrew Schofer uh, very, very intensively participated in these negotiations. And Secretary Pompeo made, made a statement about de-escalation, which we appreciate. And also um, the spokesperson of the um, uh, State Department, Morgan Ortegas, has, has made a statement uh, on immediate de-escalation uh, and returning to the negotiating negotiating solutions. Uh, we appreciate uh, what the American government American government's engagement. And of course, um, basically what they can do is to consolidate on the highest level, uh, highest level of the co-chairs, to consolidate uh, this, this shaky ceasefire, to call on the parties to return immediately to the negotiating table and to, to um, help us uh, to this move this forward. I think uh, this, these are things that are already well underway and we have seen this. Next question. Ambassador, thank you for making time to meet with us today. Is it possible that this situation is the latest manifestation of evolution of the century old Russian-Turkish contest? Russian-Turkish contest. Um, thank you for the question. I don't think this recent escalation is the result of Russian-Turkish contest, but the the roots of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, we can consider that historically it is the result of the Russian-Turkish and the modern-day borders of the South Caucasus countries is the, in some sense is the result of the Russian-Turkish contest. But this recent escalation of violence by Azerbaijan is not whatsoever the, re the result of our Turkish contest. It is just the result of Turkish-Azeri uh, destructive role and Turkish-Azeri Turkish attempts to destabilize region, but it has not to do with Russian-Turkish contest in the modern context. Well, thank you. Question. Do you think a Turkey faced the Armenian genocide reality might help to a peaceful resolution of the conflict. Of yes, I think has Turkey reconciled itself towards its own history and come into terms with the reality of the Armenian genocide. It will be very helpful towards the resolution of the Nagorno-Karabakh conflict, towards normalization of the modern relations of the Republic of Armenia and Turkey. But what we have seen is just the contrary. Turkey has been in a, in, a, in, a, in a vociferous and constant denial of the reality of the Armenian genocide. Whenever we have, uh, this issue has come up in international relations in the parliaments of countries or last year here in the United States, Turkey has opposed it. So the recognition of the fact of the Armenian genocide would definitely open a way for dialogue, a healthy dialogue, and open a way for, for uh, normalization of relations between our countries without preconditions. As you know, modern-day Armenia has declared that Armenia is ready towards normalization of relations without preconditions, and this is the policy that remains intact. Okay, and I think we'll do with one more question. 
Um, have Russian officials commented or played action on this conduct? Um, yes, Russian Foreign Minister Mr. Lavrov has publicly commented, uh, and we thought those comments were very positive. There were also comments towards those parties who are trying, from the misgroup member countries, who are trying to make uh, certain statements. But yes, uh, I think Russian Foreign Minister has made the comments along the lines of the general policy at the resolution of the Gorno-Karabakh conflict, calling upon the restraint and, you know, returning towards the negotiating table. And Russian um, co-chair, Mr. Popov, has been uh, involved actively with the parties together with other co-chairs. That's, I can confirm. Okay. All right. That's it. So, um, well, thank you very much, uh, uh, thank you very much uh, for all of those attendees. Um, I know there were many questions. Again, I'm strictly focusing on the questions related to the current conflict. So if you ask questions in the past about issues that are other issues that are ongoing uh, in the conflict or things that occurred in the past, I did not answer, I did not hinder uh, your questions. But I want to thank you again, Mr. Uh, Ambassador, uh, for joining us. And thank you again to IWP uh, for hosting us. And thank you all for attending. Thank you very much. Thank you very much, Mr. Debens, for this opportunity and for this discussion and for all of the, all of the, all of the questions that were asked to me. Uh, thanks to Institute of World Politics, and I'm looking forward to have uh, future opportunities uh, of similar discussions after the pandemic, hopefully, or uh, you know, looking forward soon to have opportunities to meet live and have, uh, you, you know, instead of the Zoom conferences, live discussions. Thank you very much and all of the, all of the best to you.